This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Browns fans, now, Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, Cover 2 on the Cleveland Browns. This is BeaconJournal.com digital producer Dan Kadar, joined by beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, how are you? Good, how's it going? Very good. Today we are going to be previewing the Cleveland Browns season uh, after a disappointing 6-10 2019 where things really fell apart in the last part of the year. The Browns lost four or five games. There's high expectations, once again, for the Browns. They got a new head coach. They got a new general manager. And the roster is still pretty loaded. So we're going to talk about the season coming up. And we're going to talk about Sunday's game against the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. Um, Nate, it's a... an off season, unlike any other, for for the entire NFL and for the Browns. Like I mentioned, they they have a new head coach in Kevin Stefanski. If you had to to pick one, what what do you think is the bigger factor on the Cleveland Browns this season? The weird pandemic stricken off season that they went through, or having a new head coach and learning a whole new offense? Well, I mean, I kind of combine them. Is that okay? I mean, sure. <laughs> I think it. I think the fact that they have a new head coach and a new staff in these unprecedented circumstances, without any OTAs, without any mini camps, uh, with a delayed start to training camp practices, and with no preseason games, I think that's what puts the Browns so far behind the eight ball. There are only two other teams in the NFL in the same exact situation um, when you're talking about a first-year NFL head coach coming in, uh, you know, to a new program, a new franchise, and trying to pull it all together without any of the traditional off-season, um, you know, schedule in place. It is all altered by the pandemic. So the other teams are, are, are Joe Judge with uh, the New York Giants and, and Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. I think Kevin Stefanski and the Browns and those two other teams I just mentioned just have such an uphill battle uh, because of the circumstances. You know, uh, obviously Ron Rivera, new to the Washington football team, and uh, Mike McCarthy, new to the Dallas Cowboys, but veteran head coaches with long head coaching resumes, been in the Super Bowl, so I don't put them exactly in the same boat as I do Stefanski, uh, Rule, and Judge. I think there is a little bit of a difference there. Stefanski's never done this before. He steps into it. He finally gets, you know, this this dream job that he's been working for for so long, and it's just complete chaos. Uh, no fault, uh, no fault of the Browns. No fault of Stefanski. We all know how the pandemic's changed everyday life, and it's certainly changed the NFL. So, you know, I think that's the big picture view of the Browns. I, I look at it as talented as they are. They are 
basically facing Mission Impossible under these uh, circumstances, in my mind. And then, you know, you can, that's the big picture. And then I think the perfect microcosm at an individual player level is Jedrick Wills. I mean, you're relying on this guy to convert from right tackle in high school, right tackle at the University of Alabama, no preseason games, and you're throwing him out there as your starting left tackle against the Baltimore Ravens. Okay, it's not going to be perfect. It might be downright ugly. Um, you, you hope if you're the Browns that it's somewhere in between, and I think that that's probably the best you can hope for. So I just think it's going to be really rough for this team to maximize its talent and potential because of these circumstances, and it, it's it's really a bummer for 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 Browns fans, and 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 I don't mean to to you know be strictly pessimistic i'm just trying to be realistic you know but i that's the way i see it you know freddie kitchens he had the normal traditional nfl offseason last year to get his team ready and and they obviously weren't um and you know that that opener against the titans with the 18 penalties that set the tone for being undisciplined and immature i think they'll be better in those areas under stefanski but I just think there's so many obstacles overall with the, with the situation there. Yeah, there there are a ton of obstacles. I I I think I'm a little more optimistic just because you can't really do much worse than Freddie Kitchens last year, particularly as the the season really spiraled, and then if. If Jedrick Wills can just be a little bit better than Greg Robinson was last year, obviously the right tackle spot is exponentially better. I don't know. I, I feel more optimistic, but I, I do agree that the it's going to be tough, particularly at the start of the year. Um, where are you at in terms of Baker Mayfield? Because we can talk about coaching and offensive line play and Injuries and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, a lot of the success or failure of the Browns this season is going to come down to Baker Mayfield and how he performs. Where are you at? What, what is your stance on Baker Mayfield going into his third season? Well, my stance is who knows if he's going to really be able to bounce back as much as the Browns need him to, but I think he's put himself in a in a good position by getting in great shape. I think that really matters. I think that was a huge missing piece for him last year. I think there was also missing pieces when it came to the coaching staff and, and, you know, having an organized, uh, uh, you know, plan and identity on offense. Um, but Baker as an individual, he was heavier than he ever had been at a football playing weight last season. And I think it really bit him in the butt. I mean, his footwork was out of whack, as we talked about a million times. That led to accuracy problems that he hadn't experienced uh, to that extent before. Um, this guy had great accuracy, great movement in the pocket as a rookie when he set that um, single-season NFL uh, touchdown uh, passing record. So, I mean, just think about how many times. Go back and look at the 2018 highlights when he was in his first NFL season. Think about how many times he was able to just maneuver in the pocket, stepping, shuffling, sliding, and, and, and keeping his eyes downfield and, and making really nice throws. We just didn't see that consistently last year. He just looked all out of sorts. Um, you know, the offensive line certainly is, is always going to be a factor, 
uh, and a quarterback's comfort in that pocket, but he was fleeing at times even when he didn't need to. I think, um, you know, it, it, it just ended up being a trust issue for him, and and then he wasn't right physically. He wasn't able to move like he normally would. He thought that putting on weight would help him take take hits and, 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 and you know, be able to get up and, and stay in the games and things like that, so he put on a little weight, but then if you remember last year, he did play through some injuries, and there were a couple of weeks where we didn't know, you know, is he going to be able to go, you know, and, and then he was able to, uh, and he ended up starting every game. But he he has explained that, that injuries prevent him from working out as much as he normally did, and, and I, I just think that managing that weight was definitely a, a, a difficult uh, challenge for him last year, and, and he just got heavier than he should have and wasn't able to move like he normally is. So in this offense especially – with all the rollouts, the play action, the bootlegs, Kevin Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski is brought here off the off the uh, wide zone running scheme. The quarterback's got to be able to move, and and he and Baker and Alex Van Pelt, offensive coordinator, talked about that in the offseason. Baker made his mission to to get back in shape, and you know he did not look lights out in training camp. He had an up and down training camp. The offense was uneven. Um, you know, there were there were definitely some bright spots, but there were times, like I said on, I think, the previous podcast to this one, that you wonder if they were going to be able to get a first down, uh, which is ridiculous considering all the talent they have. But, you know, learning a new system, things are not smooth, and, and you know, it, it definitely was rough at times in training camp. So, um, you know, I, I, can't, I cannot say definitively that he's going to be able to bounce back because – you know, I just haven't, I just haven't seen in, in in training camp evidence that this is definitely headed that way. But I can say that his he looks physically like he did two years ago, and I think that gives him uh, a better chance. So I'm a little bit optimistic about him because of that, and because I think that this scheme and, and the play action passing once they start to try, you know, start to kind of catch up from the the time lost. Um, which they're never going to fully compensate for the time loss, but once they start to kind of get it in a groove, I think he has a chance to to really show that it does cater to his strengths. Hmm. Here's the the ultimate question, I guess, about Baker Mayfield as he is going into his third year. While there has been a lot of stuff that is out of his control, whether it's not quite as much talent in his first year or his his shape and the coaching last year and the injuries last year and all that kind of stuff. Is it too early to declare this a make-or-break season for Mayfield as the quarterback of the future, which it looked like the Browns had when he was a rookie. It didn't last year. Is it too early to be really on the lookout of a make-or-break season for Mayfield? I don't think it is too early. I know some people think it's too dramatic to say this is make or break season for him, but you know, here's the here's the the bottom line: when the GM who drafted you number one overall is no longer here, that changes the landscape for you as a player. It just does. I mean, Andrew Barry was with uh, the Browns in 2018 when they picked Mayfield number one overall, but we know that was John Dorsey's pick. Mm-hmm. John Dorsey's gone. You know. Andrew Barry was the VP of player personnel at the time. He wasn't picking Mayfield. He was involved, and I think that helps, um, you know, 
Baker's case somewhat, but it's not like he was, you know, the Andrew Barry pick. You know, there's just a different dynamic there when the GM who, who drafted you is no longer there. Uh, and and we know that um, that happens all the time in the NFL, right? You know, <laughs> so a, a guy's leash is shorter inherently, almost always by, by rule when when the regime that drafts him is not there and and certainly i think that that can apply to baker mayfield and we you know i i asked him earlier this offseason about year three and he said year three is always huge when it comes to contracts and i mean he i was you know i was asking him about bouncing back type thing and he took it to the level of discussing his contract and when you're discussing your contract you're the implication is you're obviously discussing your future with the team, right? right. Three is huge because mm-hmm. next May the Browns have to decide whether they're going to exercise the fifth year option on the contracts of, of Baker Mayfield and, and Denzel, Denzel Ward, their two first round picks from, from 2018. Um, you know, I, most of the time you're, you, you, you have seen that the teams pick up the fifth year options on the quarterbacks, but it doesn't always happen, right? It didn't happen with Mitch Trubisky. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's an important year to answer your question, and I, I and I don't think it's too dramatic to say make or break because of how the, uh, the organization uh, has been shaken up yet again. Hmm. Before we get to some prediction type of stuff, let let's talk about the defense because I mean, we can talk about the offense obviously, but. I think the the knowns about the offense are pretty well known. The wide receivers are good. The running backs are loaded. There are questions about the offensive line on left tackle um, because Wills was a little inconsistent. But so I, I kind of feel like all that stuff is a little oversaturated in terms of discussion. So let's talk about the defense a little bit, Nate. What are your expectations for the defense this year? Um, they look like they're loaded again up front. There are still a lot of questions at linebacker, particularly since Mac Wilson got hurt. In the secondary, I don't know what to think of the secondary. So what are your feelings about the Browns' defense going into the season? Um, you know, I think that the line is, is obviously stacked and really promising, and I think they have all four st- starters back for a second year in a row. Mm-hmm. I think the hope is significant. I think the hope is that those guys can stay healthy and stay on the field. Miles Garrett's suspension obviously changed everything. Olivier Vernon being hurt half the year, playing a couple games injured and missing a bunch more definitely changed everything. So, you know, the defense was a shell of itself when Garrett was out the, the last six games and, and it was exacerbated by, by Vernon being hurt. And, um, you know, that, that really uh, ended up Biden the Browns last year, and I think that they, you know, they've got, uh, you know, a little bit more depth up front this year, a little more quality depth, um, you know, with the, the, the drafting of of, uh, of um, Jordan, Jordan Elliott yeah. in the third round. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure I don't say Jacob Phillips, who's the linebacker. I always <laughs> get those two confused because they're both picked in the third round, but Jordan Elliott in the third round is going to be be a backup uh, behind Sheldon Richardson and Larry Joby. Obviously, that depth isn't quite what, what Andrew Barry had intended it to be because he signed Andrew Billings, who's a full-time starter for the Bengals the past two years. He ended up opting out of the 2020 season because of the coronavirus. So, 
um, you know, that, that is a loss. It's, you know, something that the Browns, I think, are potentially going to look back on and, and, and you know, uh, you know, just wish, you know, things have been a little bit different. So many things are different uh, because of the pandemic and, and obviously some players opting out. Um, I totally understand it. I get it. Concerns are, are legitimate. But, you know, obviously when you're building a team as a GM, Andrew Barry thought Billings was going to be a big piece. Um, so, you know, the Browns really might feel that blow uh, as the season wears on here and teams try to really run on him. He, he was that guy who was going to be a, a force against the run. So uh, Adrian Claiborne it, being a free, free agent pickup at end, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, that's good depth. And then Porter Gustin and Dan Kidd, our favorite, makes the team. Um, kind of one of the success stories of training camp. So, you know, I think, you know, they've got some, some decent depth there, uh, better than what they had last year for sure. But um, I do worry about the linebackers. You know, there's just no real legitimate experience. It's it, it's 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 very limited. Um, you know, B.J. Goodson has, you know, 20-some starts in the NFL under his belt. And Sione Takitaki started one game last year as a rookie. And... Uh, Tay Davis started five in his career, um, so you know it, it's a it's a very inexperienced group. You got the third round pick Jacob Phillips, who I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, battling for that starting spot that, that was um, you know created by Mac Wilson's hyperextended left knee. So you know you lose a 14 starts with Mac Wilson being hurt. and you're looking for somebody to, to step in there. Goodson's going to be your starting middle linebacker, Taki Taki is going to be the other starter, probably strong side. And then Wilson was at um, weak side. So, you know, you're looking at Phillips, Tay Davis. They picked up a free agent in camp, uh, former Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Smith. So you might be having a little bit of a rotation even there. I think Phillips has a pretty good chance to to kind of, you know, be the guy they turn to for the most part, but you might even have a little bit of rotation there. So, yeah, it's just a huge mystery how these guys go. Like, Goodson had a good camp, but he's missed a lot of time lately. He's dealing with a personal matter. Kevin Stefanski said yesterday, um, which was Monday, that he expects him back soon. So they obviously think he's going to be uh, with them for the Ravens. But Taki Taki's a mystery, really, you know. And um, obviously the Wilson injury hurts. So, yeah, I, I just – it's, it's a huge question mark, that linebacking core, and it, and it really matters when you're, you know, in the AFC North and, and you're, you're facing these teams um, that, you know, have these, these running backs and, and like to play hard-nosed style, and then not to mention you got to chase Lamar Jackson around in week one. So that's tough. And then the secondary, uh, you know, I think there's some pretty good depth at cornerback. Um you know, Denzel Ward is there. Uh, Greedy Williams has been hurt since, I think, August 24th with a shoulder. Don't know if he's going to be back in time for week one. But the depth comes in, in handy when you got Terrence Mitchell there ready to step in for Greedy, uh, a guy who's played pretty well for the Browns when healthy uh, and, and been a quality starter. So, you know, that's that's looking okay. You know, obviously Denzel Ward's got to stay healthy for, for it to really be what it should be and return to that Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl uh, form he had as a as a rookie in 2018, and and he had a great camp. Um, and then you know Nickelback, you brought in Kevin Johnson. Well, that was a big injury in camp, lacerated liver. 
Um, you know, they're going to get him back, but I don't know when. And, you know, MJ Stewart is the guy who they claimed off waivers. Second-round pick was with Tampa Bay. He gets a chance to fill in there, but he, he's been hurt too. He came back yesterday to practice after dealing with the hamstring. So you just got a lot of injuries. You got a promising cornerback room, but a lot of injuries there. And uh, it's safety. The big loss in camp was the season-ending injury to second-round pick Grant Delbit. They loved Delpit's versatility. They had a bunch of plans for him. Joe Woods really was going to put him all over the place. They, they thought he was going to be a, a huge piece in that scheme. And then he ends up uh, rupturing Achilles tendon. So they traded for Ronnie Harrison. And he's going to be in the mix with, uh, with some veterans they picked up in free agency on one-year deals, Carl Joseph and Andrew Sandejo. So I, I like the defensive line. I like the cornerbacks. But health is obviously an issue right now that that room's facing. Linebacker, who the hell knows, and safety <laughs> is a little shaky. So, you know, I kind of think if this defense is middle of the road, you know, that wouldn't be shocking. You know, I, I and it certainly has a chance to be worse than that with the injuries they're facing. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be fascinating watching the snap counts on defense, particularly at the start of the year, and just seeing how they develop and change and I wouldn't be shocked if a guy like Phillips, for instance, becomes a, a regular starter for the Browns. Um, it, it, it's an it's a lot of talent on defense, but it's there are some questions like you just outlined pretty succinctly. So, do you have any hot takes about Jamie Gillen or Austin Seibert? Who has the better mullet out of the two? Seibert, for sure, has the better mullet. Gillen is jacked like a linebacker, so um, he's got that going for him. Probably prefers that over the mullet anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I think Gillen's I think Gillen's good, and Cybert's shaky. And they signed Cody Parkey to uh, the practice squad, uh, which is interesting. And I think it's mostly because of the pandemic. And you got an expanded uh, practice squad with 16 players instead of 10, and the rules are such that you can move guys uh, to the active roster without much fuss, without much red tape, and you can get these guys in a pinch ready and on your active roster for for game day. Your 53-man roster can expand to 55 with practice squad elevations for game day. So. Uh, I think that, you know, putting Cody Parkey on there, well, not specifically Cody Parkey, but just putting the kicker on there makes a lot of sense. I actually would have put a punter on there, too. They didn't. But I just think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, the kicker and punter are joined at the hip. And, you know, when you talk about the virus, you talk about the, the and you talk about the spread, you talk about the people who are with each other all the time. So I thought it would make sense to have a battery on your practice squad for specialists. Um, but they got Cody Parkey, and, you know, he's shaky too. He's been with the Browns before. Um, so I do think that it's mostly because of the pandemic that they put a kicker on there. But, you know, I also think it's worth noting that, you know, Cyber isn't locked in and an untouchable player by any means. Again, this is a guy who's not only been up and down a little bit, and extra points hurt him last year, especially going the, into the dog pound at home. But he was a guy drafted in the fifth round by the previous regime, and Andrew Barry wasn't here at all for that. He's with the Eagles at the time. 
Yeah. Wow. Special teams takes. I like it. Um, well, and, you asked. Yeah. <laughs> let me just say, I love the expanded practice squad. I, I've always been a proponent that um, NFL rosters in general should be larger. I, I think there's such a large quality player base that gets lost in the shuffle because of roster sizes whether it's just expanding from 53 to 55 I, I think the NFL should do that or always having this large of a practice squad I, I think it gives teams a lot more versatility you know even if you even if you aren't concerned about your starting kicker being good or bad stashing a guy on a practice squad and just knowing exactly what you have in in a backup in case there's an injury or ineffectiveness, I think is, is a big deal. Um, that, that's just my two cents about, about NFL roster sizes that no one cared about yeah. me saying anyway. Well, you put but, a quarterback on there too, Dan. Right. I mean, they yeah. They keep three because they knew that Garrett Gilbert would be able to be on there and they'd have flexibility if they need him in a pinch. So, right. Um, yeah, you know, I, I asked Stefanski about all that and, you know, the kicker and all, you know, Gilbert and he said, yeah, it's acknowledges the new rules um, affected all that um, the, those decisions so um, before we move on you know I do want to say you know university you know football period but University of Akron football sure uh, very well and so Jojo Natson does make the team and is listed as the, the main kickoff and punt returner obviously Donovan People Jones the other main option there um, but are you hyped for some Jojo Natson well I'm, look, I'm hyped. <laughs> I guess that's a no. <laughs> I, well, I'm hyped for a few things. Number one, an Akron guy on, on the Cleveland Browns is always fun. Shout out to Charlie Fry. Um, I love that there's a guy in Northeast Ohio named Jojo. Um, so I like that. And in, in all seriousness, you know, as long as he can field punts, I, I think he'll be fine. And there's no reason to think he can't. So he's obviously a fast guy uh, and he's slippery. So, you know, it, it's kind of a whatever thing. Kickoffs don't really matter now, really. So it, as long as you can catch a punt cleanly, regularly, and occasionally get a decent return, I think you're fine. I, I think it will be... Nice to have a wide receiver on the roster, even if he only gets a few snaps a game, who can just go deep. You know, we, we talk a lot about Stefanski loving the tight end play, and we know what Jarvis Landry can do in the short to medium game. So all that kind of stuff kind of opens things up deep. You know, the running game does too. And, and Natson is the kind of guy who... You can just send down the field and let Baker Mayfield bomb one out, you know, once or once or twice every few games or so. So, um, I, I think he's a good player to have on the roster just from a schematic standpoint. And I'm mostly looking forward to having him on because I'm an, an Akron Zips guy, unfortunately, and his name's Jojo, and I love Jojos. So, um, but that's my that's my take on Jojo Natson. I think that what's interesting about him is Kevin Stefanski kept Mike Prefer as the special teams coordinator. They had worked together before in Minnesota, and 
Prefer made it known last year before the Browns played the Rams that he loved JoJo Nats and, and that his speed was terrifying and had some really colorful quotes about the problems that JoJo Natson uh, was was you know giving him in terms of game planning and sleeping at night. Mm. And when JoJo Natson becomes available, Andrew Barry, who hadn't been with Mike Prefer before, you know, takes that input from a respected special teams coordinator and goes gets a guy, you know, that that Prefer loves and, and basically handpicked to be on this roster. So yeah. Jojo Natson is a Mike Prefer project. So, um, you know, the Rams didn't end up keeping him around. We'll see if Prefer can bring something more out of him. And I think that's interesting that, uh, you know, he gets, you know, his guy to uh, basically try to revive a part of the special teams that was close to non-existent last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they improved a lot of areas in the first season under Prefer. But the return game just wasn't there. Yeah, and, and and so now maybe it will be. I might be overstating his use on offense, unless I'm looking at things wrong. He hasn't had an offensive snap in the last two seasons. So, and his his punt return average dropped by three yards in 2019 from 10.8 to 7.8. So yeah, he's um, had a catch since the Jets. Uh, right, since he played for the Jets, but for what it's worth, and maybe it's not worth a damn thing, but they they did. Sprinkle him in a lot on offense, even with the ones during camp. Hmm. That you is know, interesting. With, yeah, I mean, some of it's with Odell and, and Jarvis having pitch counts or whatever, especially Jarvis. Right. Um, you, you rotate different guys through, but I think I don't think it's inconceivable that they could have some tricks up their sleeve for JoJo Nassau on offense. Let's get to the the prediction portion of this podcast. <laughs> And I don't remember what we predicted last year. I don't think either of us predicted six and ten, though. I remember what we predicted. Go on. What what was it? <laughs> well, I predicted ten and six. Okay. So I, I just I kind of had six and ten just reversed. Sure. And then you predicted nine and seven. Huh. Well, I let let's just jump to that, and then we'll maybe we'll get to a couple individual things here. Um. What is your record prediction for 2020? Well, Dan, the Beacon Journal released a magazine on Sunday. Indeed. So if you're a subscriber who gets home delivery, you got this glorious, glossy, 85-page magazine (laughs) with your paper. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Actually, it's 80 pages. Anyway, in that magazine, I made my prediction 8 and 8, and I'm not changing it. Um, You know... Full disclosure, peek behind the curtain, I had to make this prediction before training camp because, you know, we had to have our magazine stuff in uh, well before training camp began. And so I didn't have the the luxury of seeing them practice and then forming an opinion, but I think uh, I'm really comfortable with 8-8 and as my prediction because I think it's um, an acknowledgement that they'll be better than last season, as they should, because it was a disaster. Um... They're still really talented. Um, they're even more talented on paper than last year because they bring back all the key parts and they add to it. Um, you know, Austin Hooper at tight end and free agency, Jack Conklin at right tackle free agency, Jack Jedrick Wills who will 
certainly have an uphill climb like I explained earlier, but the 10th overall pick in the draft, nonetheless, left tackle. Um, plenty of other guys um, to talk about, and we have talked about a lot of them already, but you're, you, you have that core and you're, and you're supplementing it with Andrew Berry uh, draft picks and free agent signings and trade acquisitions. Uh, he was aggressive and he did plenty. So there's there's a lot in the cupboard there. there the, the shelves are, are, are overflowing with talent. But I, I, I think that my bottom line is they, they should be better uh, than 500 and they have the talent to be better than 500. But I'm going 500 because of all the circumstances in this crazy, unusual, unprecedented uh, year and, and and basically all the time that was robbed from this new coaching staff in the off season as it tried to implement new schemes. Yeah, that that's fair enough. And I think eight and eight is probably a pretty fair estimation. You know, look, I did the stupid game by game win loss win loss 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 win 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 type of thing, um, and I got. Yeah. I got to 9-6 and six by the time I got to the last game of the year, which of course is at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I I think it'll be incredible drama if the Browns are 9-6 and six going into that game. And I'm saying 9-6 and six going into that game on the back of them going 4-2 and two in the division and somehow managing this rough stretch where they have at Dallas, home against the Colts, at Pittsburgh, and then at Cincinnati, and we, we just don't know what Cincinnati can be. Um, you know, last year the Browns had a similar stretch in the middle of last year, or the kind of like the, the end of the first half of the season, really, where they lost those four games in a row, which ended with a loss to a not very good Broncos team. So um, I I think it might be a similar thing where if they survive the first part of the season, I think the second half opens up a lot more. Um, but I'm going to go with 9-7 and seven again. And whether or not that's a playoff spot this year, it, it's going to be hard to say just because the AFC North looks so good. I mean, it, it, I, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is going to be the Ben Roethlisberger from 10 years ago, but he's back. And um, the Steelers were pretty average without him. So with him, you know, they're probably two or three wins better. The The Ravens might not be 14-2 and two again, but it's hard to see them not winning the division and being one of the best teams in the NFL and a, you know, a, a smart Super Bowl pick. So it, it's going to be tough um, beyond just the new coach pandemic questions about Baker Mayfield stuff. You're uh, right about that. That's a great point because I've been looking at the Browns, you know, I'm focusing on the Browns, but you're right about, <laughs> about these other huge factors. Right. Yeah. And you, like I said, you just don't know what you're going to have out of the Bengals where – they have a rookie quarterback who is really damn good at LSU in, in one season. So um, it's it's going to be tough. But if the Indi- if the Browns, excuse me, I'm reading, the th- I have a thing about the Indians up. 
for something else. But um, if they can go four and two in the division, I think they're a better than five hundred team. So, um, hmm. I played the schedule game too in the magazine. And we yeah. put it out there, and based on my theory and logic that it's going to be a rough start um, as this team tries to, to figure it all out on the fly uh, under a new coaching staff. Um, I've got them better late in the season. I've got them figuring it out at the end and actually um, closing the season on a three-game winning streak to get to Aiden. Hmm. Let, let's do some quick hit predictions, then we'll talk about the Ravens game briefly. We do this one every year. Miles Garrett's sack number. I'm going with 16, as I have almost every year, I think. Um, that's a good one. I want to be different, but that's, that's a good number. I'm going to go with um, 14 and a half. I think that's what you did last year, too, if I remember correctly. Um, okay. I don't know. That might be. That would tie the franchise record, right. I believe. Yeah. Next one. So, um, more receiving yards. Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham? That, that's, well, this, this is an even tougher one, I think. I mean, gosh, I think last year catches, but Odell would have more yards. Correct. Ended up having more catches and yards. And I'm going to go with Odell this year. I'm going to my last year I ended up being wrong. And Jarvis got the better in both categories, but I, I think Odell will have more Jarvis will have more catches. That That's a good hedge. I like that hedge. So um, I go, I'm there's Odell. <laughs> I'll agree. Last one, unless you have any other ones in mind, because I, I think I'm falling apart here with my ideas. More total touchdowns. Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt? Nick Chubb. Hmm. I think that he, uh, although so versatile and is going to touchdown reception. Nick Chubb going to uh, be the blind guy uh, primarily and I make off a couple long ones we've become accustomed to seeing him off for touchdowns too and hard to bet against Nick Chubb with any kind of production even though that is really really good too yeah I I'm going to go with a surprise and say Kareem Hunt because this is assuming, of course, he plays 16 games. Um, he had two touchdowns in eight games. The first, I, I don't know, he looked he looked a little off a little bit at times, like he was still finding his feet. So I think 16... Surgery. Yeah. I think 16 games of Kareem Hunt on a team that is, to me, doesn't have a really good third receiver um, I think he could have three or four receiving touchdowns so if he does that and gets 
five or six rushing touchdowns, right, which, which he's obviously capable of. I'm going to go with Kareem Hunt in an upset on that one, and I will happily be wrong. Well, in his only full NFL season, he had 11 touchdowns. Right. That, that was in 2017 as a rookie when he led the league in rushing yards. He had eight rushing touchdowns, three receiving touchdowns, and then in the 11 games of the Chiefs in 2018, he had 14 touchdowns, seven rushing, seven receiving. So that's a, I mean, those are whopping numbers, obviously. Doesn't hurt to have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. Right. Um, but yeah, I, you could definitely go either way on this one. And Hunt is so unbelievably talented. And he really has a penchant for breaking big runs. So, uh, and I, I know he has a penchant for breaking big runs because our colleague George Thomas always likes to point out to me that I once said in the pre-draft process that Kareem Hunt might never be a big home run hitting running back. And every time Kareem Hunt breaks a big run, I, I seem to hear from George. So, um, yeah, so that that's the predictions portion of our podcast. Nate, let's let's briefly talk about game one against the Ravens. It's in Baltimore. It's on Sunday. It's at one o'clock. Um, the Browns are an eight-point underdog. Do they have any chance in this game at all? Sure. They beat the Ravens at Baltimore last year when no one thought they would. True. So there, there's always that chance. I'm picking the Ravens. Um, like I said, I think it's just going to be um, hard for the Browns to to come out on fire out of the gate. So, you know, you're dealing with the, the reigning uh, NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson, um, a defense that's, you know, made some upgrades here, Clayus Campbell, Patrick Queen, to, to name a couple. Um, John Harbaugh knows how to have his team ready, and we know the Browns, uh, although it has nothing to do with Kevin Stefanski, that whatever it is, 119-1 just keeps hanging over them in openers. Yeah, I think the last opener they won was 2004. So it, it's it's always rough to start the season for the Browns, particularly against this, this kind of quality team. I think Lamar Jackson has a chance of you know, winning the MVP again. I think he has a chance of being a better passer this year than he was last year. And I don't know. I shouldn't say this on a Browns podcast, but I really enjoy watching the Ravens play. Um, they're, they're extremely entertaining. You mentioned a few of the defensive additions they brought in. So they're, they're really good. I, I don't think the Browns are going to win either. I, I think it's going to be important that they don't get crushed, though just from a team psyche standpoint. And it's going to be something to watch how Kevin Stefanski reacts to, if they do lose, how he reacts to that as as a first-time head coach. And I I think you're going to learn a lot about him a week from now. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going 31-20 Ravens. I don't know if that counts as crushed, but... I don't think it'll feel really tight. Right. Yeah, um, that, that sounds good to me. And, you know, not getting too far ahead here, Dan, but I think the real test for Stefanski is starting out not only at Baltimore, defending AFC North champs against that MVP we've talked about, but you got a short week. You right. come back 
few days later and host the Bengals in a Thursday night game at home. Um, so right off the bat, there's another challenge. And then you, and then you play Washington at home the next week. So, you know, if you're looking at the schedule game, the Browns really need to win weeks two and three. And if they don't, then we're really going to learn a lot about Stefanski and how he reacts and handles adversity. Yeah, indeed. So we'll see how the Browns get there. Nate, do you have anything else this week before we get out of here? I don't think so, other than I just want to tell everybody, if you guys have made it this long, thanks for listening. Uh, We haven't recorded as often uh, lately, but we'll try to get back in the groove here with the season starting. Um, I do hope to have a couple of those magazine stories uh, ready uh, to tweet out later this week and to put on the website. Uh, We're not going to be able to put the full thing out there, um, but we're going to have a couple of them. Um, so I'm excited about that and we'll have a bunch of other preview stuff coming out, uh, for our regular newspaper coverage and website coverage. Right. And I, I believe the idea is we're going to put some online Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So if you're not a subscriber, well, please consider subscribing because it, it helps keep us employed. Um, but secondly, if you're not, you, you wouldn't have gotten this wonderful magazine, um, but you'll, you'll get a few of the stories online later this week, like Nate said, and you can find all of that stuff over at beaconjournal.com slash browns. That's going to do it for this edition of Cover 2. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can follow Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>